Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Wednesday, January 11th, and after a long holiday hiatus, I am once again joined by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? Oh, it's good to be back. I missed those words. I'm doing well, uh, settling, trying to find a rhythm back into the holidays. And my approach this year is instead of doing the new year, new me, two weeks go hard grinding and then burn out and collapse, just add one thing at a time. And uh, nothing really added yet, but we'll see how that goes in the future, trying to get back into the rhythm. How have you been? Not bad. That seems like a healthy approach to the new mm-hmm. year. Um, I did not splurge on the gym membership January 1st just because I knew I would be busy this first month. So I'm going to look to do the prorated one uh, for the Western semester, kind of first of April. Maybe save a little bit of money there. Um, and yeah, just no, no New Year's resolutions for me except to keep things rolling and uh, try and use a little bit more of my League Pass membership. I feel like I'm not getting the full value out of it right now. So let's get some more NBA in my life. I feel like that's 100% the sport we talk about the most already, but yeah, let's get more at it. Uh, I am hoping to just pay for like two months during the playoffs is the plan I made this year, but I'm sort of paranoid they're going to jack the rates and screw me there cautionary tale on that is well might not matter if the raptors don't make it but a lot of the playoff games end up going on as sportsnet or tsn so you typically get blacked out anyway so it might be just worth it to to pay for one of those instead that's true i do have the tsn year-long membership and i remember last year sportsnet did offer a discount uh, around playoff time and they carry like all the hockey stuff so that might be worth looking into this year. There you go. There's our Canadian TV provider plug, um, a duopoly up north here, either Bell or Rogers and nothing else. <laughs> Two telecom companies, three grocery companies, and one big incompetent healthcare system. Loving. It's a great country. On that beautiful note, uh, we'll get into sports, shall we? And um, on the note of healthcare, give a shout out before we get started in our football fan cave to the field staff and medical staff and then the hospital staff at the Cincinnati General Hospital. As they saved the life of a player on the field, uh, DeMar Hamlin, uh, Buffalo Bills safety against Cincinnati, uh, his heart stopped. And they were able to revive him and resuscitate him. And he is now healthy back in Buffalo, still recovering. An incredible, shocking, and scary moment that has turned into something quite amazing with over $8 million raised for the charity. Um, I know in our fantasy finals, we couldn't really figure out what to do because uh, things got cut short. And Josh Allen and Joe Mixon were still up for my opponent and I had finished for the evening and it was going to come down to the wire. And then of course I ended up winning quote unquote, but uh, we decided to do the right thing, share the victory. Uh, everyone else in the league had to put in a donation to the charity and that's kind of how we finished things up. So yeah, good guy. Owen, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Calling it a shocking turn of events. 
Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we'll we'll uh, there's there's one side of the coin. There's the other. <laughs> We're into football <laughs> fan cave. Uh, with super wild card weekend ahead. Best weekend in the NFL. Uh, high quality football, but not skipping out on the number of games either. We will have six really fun games through Saturday, Sunday, and then one on Monday. Uh, I'm just gonna go in the order of conference seating here. So kicking us off, the Buffalo Bills will be hosting the Miami Dolphins, a divisional matchup. So the third time these two will be meeting uh, in Buffalo. So Miami having to travel north. They have not played very well in cold weather. And Buffalo's hoping they'll maybe have some snow to lean on. Additionally, Miami, uh, Tua Tagovailoa out with a concussion. He probably shouldn't play for the rest of his career, let alone this season. Three concussions in nine weeks is like that's asking for a hospitalization and, and something maybe worse. And then uh, Teddy Bridgewater also with a concussion. So they will go to their third stringer, Skylar Thompson, in this game. They beat, I think, the New York Jets 11-6 to last week in just wow. a vomit of a game. So team of destiny bills with obviously what happened a couple weeks ago. I don't know how any situation where they lose this game. It should be a bit of a bloodbath, so don't need to spend too much time on it. Next game here, Cincinnati-Baltimore, another divisional matchup, another third time these two teams will meet this year, and they had just met last weekend in the final week of the season. Uh, no status on Lamar. I think Lamar Jackson's actually not going to end up playing, so be another situation here where teams got to go to a backup quarterback. Should be a bloodbath and a pretty uh, heavily uh, tilted affair with Cincinnati having just kind of turned on the Jets the last 10 weeks of the season. They've been really, really excellent. Their defense doesn't give up points in the second half. Joe Burrow has all of his weapons now back with him. Uh, Mixon, Chase, Higgins has really come into his own this year. And of course, Tyler Boyd is the third option. Hayden Hurst as a, a, a deep threat tight end. Just Cincinnati, complete team. I worry about them as we get deeper into the playoffs with how many games they would have played over the last two years in that deep Super Bowl run. Um, but they're a complete team. They've been there now. And if there's no Lamar Jackson, I don't see how there's any hope for this Ravens team. I think they'll keep it a low-scoring affair. But Anthony Brown or Tyler Huntley are not going to be able to put up points at, with the same proficiency as as Joe Burrow. And so I have the Bengals at home uh, taken, taken uh, out the Ravens in the first round. The most competitive of our three AFC playoff games this weekend, uh, I believe, will occur in Duval, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who wow. very last week of the season beat a pretty depleted Tennessee Titans team on a late fumble recovery. Um, definitely the better team that deserved to make the playoffs, but very easily Tennessee could have stolen that one right from under them and we would have had another blowout pending. But I think the Jaguars... Young, uh, frisky defense, and Trevor Lawrence kind of not all the way there in terms of consistency, but if he has one of his better games, then they could be right in this because uh, the Los Angeles Chargers are a team that love to lose in spectacular fashion. And while on paper they might have one of the best teams in the league, they consistently shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, Justin Herbert, very systematic uh, and oftentimes should be allowed to be a little bit more creative, but just likes to stick 
with the system, stick with the reads, and he's got the talent to maybe draw outside the lines a little bit like a Mahomes, like an Allen. So we'll see what they do here in the playoffs against a, a, a Jacksonville team that, again, young and frisky, but still will give up a ton of points. And then on the other side, uh, they'll have to try and get Etienne going um, because the Chargers, one thing they've done the last couple of years is give up a lot of yards on the ground. Uh, and so if Jacksonville can control the clock at home, just keep things close. Uh, just try and have a tie game going in the fourth quarter and the Chargers will just self-implode. So uh, I think LA is definitely the favorite in this game. Um, but I think Jacksonville definitely has the best shot out of the three underdogs to win. We go to the NFC, another divisional matchup, uh, third meeting of the year between the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks slipping into the back door of the playoffs after beating the LA Rams in overtime and the Lions beating the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau uh, to knock out Green Bay and Seattle slides into the seven seed and they get the lovely reward of playing a lot of people's kind of favorite pick now to make it to the Super Bowl out of the NFC, the 49ers with Brock Purdy, who has just stepped in out of nowhere and been a fantastic quarterback, like top 10 for sure. Uh, and if he can keep up with his swagger and confidence, they have all the weapons around him to succeed, right? With Christian McCaffrey, best running back in the league right now, uh, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, all major, major threats. And they could make mincemeat of a Seattle defense that started the season pretty solid, but they just get shredded now in all sorts of all-purpose yards. So I think... San Francisco, this is going to be a very similar script to what we've seen their teams do in the past. They'll control the clock. They'll get huge chunk plays, uh, and then their defense is going to get after Geno Smith, and he's going to be in trouble all day. So look for them to throw it up to Lockett and Metcalf to try and get some spark plays and maybe stay tight with San Francisco, but another overwhelming game. I think San Francisco takes them rather easily. Minnesota, New York Giants, uh, an intriguing one for sure. The Vikings all season uh, have, I think they finished with a negative point differential on the year, but went 13 and four. So I don't know how interesting of an indicator that is for what their team looks like. But the New York Giants, less talented on paper, but they don't make a ton of mistakes. And Daniel Jones is a mobile quarterback that will give this Vikings defense some difficulties. If there's one thing that this defense does is it gives up points. They don't have much. The Giants don't in terms of wide receiving depth. Uh, but if Saquon can can make a couple big plays and the Giants are just going to try and continually punch Minnesota in the mouth, double Justin Jefferson over the top, make Kirk Cousins uh, have to have to consistently make big plays to his other targets. Uh, Giants recipe similar to a Jacksonville one is keep the game close and then hope that you can get the the last possession and and one of your guys is going to make a play or you're going to make a kick. But this Giants defense with Kayvon Thibodeau has really improved this year. Uh, and I actually like the Giants in this game, taking out the Vikings. Is it a primetime matchup? <laughs> I got to double check the time on that. Uh, I feel like you can count every playoff game as a primetime time matchup at this point That's uh, yeah quick little look here it is the 4 30 afternoon matchup on sundays i think that classifies as prime time 
Yeah. Although the night nighttime's technically prime, but it's not noon. So beware, Kirk Cousins betters. <laughs> <laughs> Last game here. Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, you mentioned this game six weeks ago. Dallas, I think it's a wash. They walk away, no problem. But this was the very first game of the season. Tampa Bay actually won that one. It's the one game where they've actually looked like a decent football team. And besides that, limping in the playoffs, I think they finished nine and eight on the season, but didn't deserve to win half of their games. Um, but you can't count out Tom Brady. This Dallas Cowboys team, better in every aspect on paper. Uh, defense, Micah Parsons has been unbelievable. Trayvon Diggs, really solid. Uh, and the rest of that Cowboys defense just gets after the quarterback. On offense, you've got CeeDee Lamb. You've got Michael Gallup. You've got Dalton Schultz. You've got Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. But Dak Prescott looked really, really bad last week. And that is concerning. Because when you take the two quarterbacks together, Dak should be on Tom Brady's level at this point with Brady being 45 and not ever wanting to get hit. And you worry about Dak just throwing the ball away to the other team. If the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that's been back-to-back playoff appearances, their defense can create turnovers and it has the pedigree now to be able to pressure Dak. And I think if Dak can have a clean game, the Cowboys win this, no problem. But if you see a couple sacks, a couple interceptions, Tampa Bay is going to hang around, and Tom Brady's going to make a play that takes them into the next round. I don't think either of these teams have a shot at winning the Super Bowl, uh, but I am going to go with Tampa Bay here just because I don't trust Stack in this spot on the road, uh, even though Dallas is definitely the better team. I'm just wondering who the haters will side with on this one. Uh, Brady haters, <laughs> yeah, Cowboys one. haters. Yeah, there's a there's a lot at stake here. A lot at stake. I'm excited to watch it. Just hate watch it, you know? Absolutely. And that's going to do it for our Football Fan Cave Super Wild Card Weekend Preview. I'm ready to talk some basketball, Max. How about you? Yeah, let's get into it. There's a lot to chat about in the month or so we've been gone. Oh, unbelievable performances. What, Donovan Mitchell was 71. Luka was 60, 20, and 10. Jokic with a 40, 20 game. Just Giannis, KD, Kyrie, uh, Booker, throw any name, Embiid. Like, dudes putting up career highs, unbelievable stretches. LeBron, add him to the mix. So hoping he'll be good for next Wednesday uh, when I go see them in person. But the, the NBA... These performances are up and scoring and efficiency is at an all-time high. And lots of people kind of prof or pontificating on why that could be the case. Um, and and for the most part, the the easy answers that people throw out there is pace and space, shooting, no uh take files now. So there's there's more fast breaks. But the reason that I've really seen from these games. Uh, taking them in and, and watching how offenses are run is the the really good teams, the really smart teams, do their best to get a good possession every time down the floor. So what that means is you're running more actions, better spacing, and guys who shoot shots that they're trained to now shoot and hit at a high clip. And then if you're in trouble or you need a, a high-quality possession, you're not just saying, 
oh, this is going to be our small forward's possession to get a look, and he's going to shoot a mid-range coming off a pin down. It's going to be throw out the playbook. We're going to go pick and roll with our two best guys or get in isolation for our top-level scorer. And the math just works out. Teams are smarter at getting better possessions with players who are who understand the game, understand the spacing, and the usage rate is up of number one options in the NBA, which means your whole efficiency at it as a team is going to go up because your best player is going to have the best efficiency and get you the best points per possession. And so teams with all that, of course, shooting opens up the entire game, and that's the main reason why uh, the NBA has changed so drastically in the last decade. But at the same time, if you're not getting a driving kick possession, you're going to your best player to create something more often. And, and that's what I really see causing these uh, increases in scoring from teams and then these monster performances from some of the top guys because teams are smart and say, if you're good, we're going to give you the ball more. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any one thing you can pin this down to. It's a perfect storm of a lot of things. The three-point era and the increase on its own and the synergy or symbiosis of forcing teams to spread out the defense more, opening up more lanes, the superstar era where there's just such a ridiculous plethora of talent of guys who can all uh, just carry a game on their own. They're, the number of 40-point performances has been absurd this year. The number of 50-point performances is notable. You can count them on more than two hands, I believe, at this point. Um, you've touched on all that stuff pretty well, so you know I have to mention the refs a little. Uh, it is, I get like, three things. One, freedom of movement is something that the NBA doesn't seem that interested in consistently cracking down on. Uh, we saw flirtations of it at the beginning of this season. Uh, it doesn't seem to have consistently lasted throughout same as last season we saw the idea in the first month that they weren't going to get let players get away with foul baiting and i don't know the last time i saw one of those fouls called uh where which i missed i loved that um free throw attempts are at a high 10-year high i think the last time they were this high was 2010 2011 um and then there's the factor you can't quantify or I can't give you a stat for, which is just if you're a defender and you feel like it is likely you are going to get a foul called on you when you attempt to play defense, you are less likely to attempt to play defense. It's two-sided. There are plenty of reasons why defenses of effort are down that have less to do with refing and uh, deserve reaming from the coaches on but just what are you incentivizing when uh you call all those fouls you're incentivizing to not even bother except in specific situations where it's the smart foul for the record i'm totally on board with the take uh foul to open up the transition game and it's not always called well and the distinguishment between a legitimate attempt to steal the ball and an attempt to just prevent the fast break uh, with a like hand on shoulder foul I think needs more work clarification uh, a sharp line drawn between but yeah I 
I uh, don't hate scoring. I just hate fouls. And uh, so I have mixed feelings on uh, walk, seeing the trend we're going. As always, the playoffs will be a different breed. Uh, but this has been a long time coming and a lot of different factors in the water uh, mixing to take the game in the direction that NBA ownership and management has been trying to get it to is basically the situation we have here. Yeah. I'm planning my flag on more usage for the best players uh, as, as a key contributor um, and, and an overloaded talent level in the league now. Just the base level of talent of role players is way higher than it was 10, 15 years ago. Even I, I read one article on The Athletic and they said like guys who just come to play defense like don't really exist in the same way anymore. Like what's the most valuable role player? Three and D. Like yep. uh, we were talking about, I was thinking about when you were talking about not the uh, have your two best players run a pick and roll. When you do that, chances are you still have three guys sitting on the wing um, that yep. will knock down the three and prevent the triple or quadruple team or crowding to deal with that. Uh, the The usage of better players combined with uh, more spacing on the floor to dissuade from the double teaming of those best players is, yeah, I, I think the usage is a really key thing. Uh, We'll see how those teams with those high usage rates uh, fare in the playoffs, I think, as a bellwether for if we see that going into next year. For sure. And then the next step there is either a rule change, if if the NBA doesn't like it, uh, or expansion on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Two more teams, I think, are very nearly uh, coming into the league here that might spread out a little bit more of that talent. Yeah, I, I think there won't be any rule changes. And if there are, they'll be in the vein that I mentioned where the refs sort of call it for the first three weeks of the season and then forget about it. Um, and I don't know if we're over the hump of uh, the player empowerment, if we're going on a downslide and if that's going to change or if it's still in the water. But to me, like, Expanding the teams doesn't necessarily mean anything is going to fundamentally change as long as like the superstars choose to gather two, three, four on a team. Uh, certainly the young up-and-coming players who are training right now to be drafted are looking at today's NBA and adding things offensively to their game that historically players haven't worked on and added. So yes, there will still be talent on teams. Uh, but it's always a gradient and that top 0.00001% of players, as long as they feel like we have to stick together, we want two, three to a team. Like I can't just be Paul George on the Indiana Pacers. I have to be Paul George with James Harden, with Kawhi Leonard. Um, I, I don't think expansion fundamentally changes anything. Fair enough. We'll still see the, superstar performances from our superstars and and the consolidation of talent in our contenders something we'd like to see or the general population would like to see with the los angeles lakers they have been deprived of it uh with anthony davis going out with injury but ron james 
continues to hold father time at bay. And he is on quite the tear. He will break Kareem's record this season if he stays healthy, which is mind-boggling. But really using this to feed into the fact that they are two games back of the Los Angeles Clippers for sixth place in the Western Conference. Three. Three games back. Three games separate the Clippers, the Suns, the Timberwolves, the Portland Trailblazers, the Los Angeles Lakers, and who am I missing there? The Utah Jazz? The Timberwolves and the Sacramento Kings, uh, who have a better winning percentage, but one less win than the Clippers. And the Golden State Warriors. Also got to throw that in there. So seven teams in the Western Conference separated by three games, which is excellent for for what the NBA wants in terms of driving ratings. Each game is going to matter here through the middle of the season. Play-in implications are important. uh, And with a prize possession at the top of the draft, which one of these teams is just going to decide to pull the shoot and not push for it? Because those those kind of top three teams, Denver, Memphis, and New Orleans, have separated themselves from the pack. But beyond that, really exciting stuff from the Western Conference. Uh, Only six of those teams above 500. Whereas if you look at the East, we do have eight teams above 500. So maybe a little bit of disparity there. But we kind of thought that going into the season, the Eastern Conference would be slightly stronger. Um, but fascinating to see the different storylines there develop in the Western Conference. Will Kawhi and Paul George be healthy enough to play consistently? Will the Sacramento Kings keep up the fantastic vibes? Hashtag beam team. Will the Phoenix Suns get Chris Paul and Booker back and back to a, a strong enough performance where they can stay afloat? DeAndre Ayton has been not good for what uh, people believe he can be. Golden State. Curry's coming back soon. They've started to feel figure out some stuff, but can they win it all on the road? I think they have two losses at home and two wins on, on the road, uh, and that's why they're sitting at 500. Minnesota Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns still out. What is the thing that finally gets it all to click? Because the vibes are not there right now. Utah Jazz feels like they're going to be the team that pulls the shoot now that they've started to dwindle towards the bottom of the standings. Uh, but how much value do the, each of these guys have? Do they actually trade Laurie Markkinen, or is he a piece that they're going to keep in their five, six-year plan of, of rebuilding? Portland Trailblazers, are they a team that makes a move to try and get a wing, potential OG and a Novi team? We're not ready for that talk yet. And then, of course, the Los Angeles Lakers uh, and, and LeBron playing for records, I think, more than for the team success, although uh, he would hate to hear us say that, but they're just trying to stay afloat here until Anthony Davis comes back. And if I were them, I would not be trading my 2027-2029 first-round picks. Hell no. Uh, Yeah, I I think with the parody that we've described here, at the same time, it's going to take a three to five game losing streak with the rest of the other teams playing relatively well uh, to drop off. And that's what we'll see influence uh, the shoot pulling. But like you said, I love it. it. It feels like early season, you can't comment or like don't get too invested because pe- teams are figuring it out. It doesn't matter. End of the season, uh, the rankings are set. 
uh, it, these games don't matter. It's you're just waiting for the playoffs, and sometimes that comes quite soon or right after the All Star break. Whereas right now, sitting right at the halfway mark, it feels like this trend is going to keep going to the 60, 70, even closer game mark. And uh, all the storylines you touched on, as well as how are the Dallas Mavericks sitting in fourth place? Uh, how powerful is Luca's egg beater treading water game? Um, because it is not something I expected to see at this point in the season, 15 games in. Uh, so many fascinating things going on in the West right now. We'll touch on the East, I think, in our next podcast. Um, but yeah, it, it's in a great place. And if there's nothing else, we'll move along from basketball here. Yes, sir. And uh, hardcourt season is back. Tennis yes. season is back. And, and Max is going to kick us off here with a little update there uh, in our uh, back and forth tennis style. That's right. The uh, ATP Tour does not sleep for long. Back underway in the down under land of down under uh, as i learned there are, so we've had have basically two weeks of prep where most of the players will find one tournament to play in as they taper off their break and get prepared for the first grand slam of the season the australian open so this way week the adelaide international two and auckland event going on uh players like Kasper Ruud, uh, who I believe actually got eliminated. Andre Rublev also got eliminated, caught my eye. Uh, last week, though, the Adelaide International won these all 250 events, uh, which had a lot of names. Novak Djokovic, Felix Auger-Aliassime, Denis Shapovalov, Daniel Medvedev, and... Uh, Something about Djokovic and winning in Australia just goes like marmalade on toast. Uh, the Serbian wins another title, taking out Shapovalov, Medvedev, and Sebastian Korda en route to his victory. Uh, so things boding well for him to retie the Spaniard. Um, Rafael Nadal, wow haven't had to say that name as much in the past six months as the first six months of the year, who is, of course, the defending champion at the Australian this year. Unfortunately, we will not have our world number one, Carlos Alcaraz, competing in the event, uh, as he announced this past week. But still, the aforementioned storyline is the number one storyline in tennis. Uh, so it's exciting to see Djokovic with the hot hand going in and that will kick off next week so super excited for whatever bits and pieces i can catch at the tail end and tail beginning would you call it, say the head of your day it can't be tail end and tail beginning the nose tail end and nose of my morning i'm, I'm just riffing here yeah who knows i uh hot take 2023 Last year, it was Djokovic was not going to win a title. This year, I'm going Djokovic, Nadal, Alcaraz, Djokovic. 
It's not the hottest of hot takes, but I'm going to go four for four. And that's what makes it a hot take. It's tough to pick. So many variables. But I feel really good about it. And it's going to happen. It, the players who... It's a... It, I feel differently in different sports. But in the world of tennis, seeing the same players do it over again and again and again really does excite me as the competition clearly doesn't drop off and evolves and presents in new different forms. Uh, the greats of last year certainly have a chance to do it again this year, and really no one can bet against Nadal on clay and Djokovic on hard court or grass. Um, yeah, really excited for tennis season. As we Other kick piece. back off... A Canadian will make a Grand Slam final as well. Throwing Ooh. that out there. Yeah, and certainly a lot of progress in the fall months from our two uh, Canadian boys. And Chapo had a good run in Adelaide. Uh, Felix going out in the first round. But so many different proving grounds uh, for them to show themselves on. And we will cover most, definitely not all of them, throughout the year. So glad to have tennis back on the docket here. But uh, to wrap up, we've got a little hockey to talk. Uh, the World Juniors did occur. It feels a bit past history, but oh, Canada, we do take the gold home uh, back in like six back months. Back, baby. <laughs> six months apart. Uh, winning it in overtime against Czechia after blowing a 2-0 lead in the third that Felt almost inevitable. Uh, my biggest take away from this was I loved the sudden death, continuous three on three overtime. Uh, it, the nerve, like the knowledge that you didn't have to worry about it going to a shootout and that this was going to be settled here just had such a finality and like had my tension at some of an all time high. I don't want to see it in the NHL. I like continuous five-on-five five OT as well, mm -hmm. but your nerves are nowhere near as high-strung. Like, you want to get excited when your team has a two-on-one chance, but you're also terrified because you know if it goes wrong, the other team Go probably the gets other a chance the other way. And that linkage between defense and offense uh, just is such a unsettling exciting feeling and sure enough canada takes it off of a blown two-on-one chance for czechia where the uh, player fumbles it defense recovers it and gets it going our way uh, every time bedard touches the puck it had so many nerves and excitement it, it was wonderful i'm so happy to see that adaption and i would like to see more of it and less shootouts Connor Bedard, that's my takeaway. <laughs> is he's on? He's up there, right? Uh, yeah. Generational talent coming in, uh, and and any team tanking right now would be blessed to have him. The Canadians don't look now might have two shots at the kid uh, with Florida's pick because the Panthers are not performing up to expectation, and it's an unprotected pick, and. He, there's just there's so many things that have already been said, but what I find so exciting about watching him play was 
there are times where you felt like he gave up the puck a bunch, but it's because it literally is on his stick the entire time he's on the ice. It finds him in different spots. and He always is trying to create something. He had a minute 40 shift, and at the very end, he undresses three guys and scores that, that overtime goal uh, against Slovakia to take them into the semis. And then they're down 2 nothing to the U.S., and who's the guy that gets him on the board, gets things going, right? Like, not just empty stats against teams like Germany and Austria where, where you can put up points, but he's scoring important goals, and his impact was felt in the Czechia game even if he didn't tally a goal because of how much attention is paid to him on the ice. And I think he's just going to have a ton of success at the NHL level. Feels a lot like Mitch Marner uh, in, in the way that he operates. But the scoring touches at another level as well. Yeah, this game could have been four nothing going into the third, and Canada takes it easy if his teammates had finished on two beautiful opportunities he set up. Uh, All time highlight for me: he's uh, racing with a Czechia defender. Uh, the puck maybe ten feet past the blue line on the boards. He dives, extends the stick, flicks it. The puck over with perfect sauce and sets up his teammate for a breakaway shot that he can't get uh, also another beautiful one like you said featuring the composure with the puck where i i can't remember if it was a power play or five on five but he had it uh just below the wing uh the face-off circle took his time undresses one guy flicked it in put it right on a canadian stick uh, who right in front of the net with a third of it open and the goaltender who had an amazing second period mm-hmm. uh, got over just enough and the shot selection maybe not perfect. Uh, his impact wasn't on the score sheet in that final, but the chances and potential for it to be there were 100% there. Just when when the world starts talk the hockey world starts buzzing and talking about these 15 year old kids and putting them on this pedestal it seems inevitable like we there's just a different level that we can identify at that age and we saw it with mcdavid we saw it with crosby and you put him on my radar uh mention it early and the blooming seems to be checking out every step of the way and Oh God! Please don't let him go to the Canadians. Him and and Caulfield would be a nightmare. Thanks. Happy thoughts. Yeah, let's keep happy thoughts rolling. Um, I am headed to Los Angeles this Friday, and that's going to be my happy thought here as we wrap up the podcast. Thanks everyone for coming back to listen to us after an extended holiday break. We hope everyone had a great holiday season and a happy New Year to you. And uh, looking forward to awesome things here in 2023. New Year, same outro, Sports Next Door, signing out. Thank you, everyone, for listening.